You are now tuned in to the Spirit of 2012 Learning Podcast. On October 25th, Spirit of 2012 held a summit to launch our first legacy report. Our legacy report showcased the findings of the impact of our first three years of funding. In these podcasts, we share the summit's panel discussion on sporting and cultural legacy and the creation and staging of events. Jude Kelly is the Artistic Director of the South Bank Centre, Britain's largest cultural institution. She also initiated the WOW, Women of the World Festivals, in 2011. Spirits have awarded funding to take nine WOW festivals to Bradford, Perth, Exeter, Norwich and Cardiff from 2016 to 2018. Um, Jude Kelly not only runs one of the world's leading art centres, but she was the architect and the inspiration for the London 2012 Cultural Olympiad, probably the biggest ever such festival. Now, Jude, a a bit like Martin, you've seen uh, the the biggest possible and longest-lasting cultural events, but you've also seen shorter cultural events like the Women of the World Festivals. Give us an evaluation of the two, if you can. Well... Uh, the great big long lead-up to 2012 relied on us having a collective belief in the idealism of the proposition. We knew it wasn't just a sporting event. We knew it had to be much, much more than that. We spent a lot of time to work preparation, revisiting de Coubertin's vision of the reason for doing it, and it was very much to do with gathering a nation's potential and releasing it back to itself. And we tried to say that if you're going to do that, even though the kind of moment of uh, kind of highlight might be the, the medals themselves, everybody in the whole country had to feel they belonged to this idealism. And it took quite a long time to get people to have the courage to be idealistic, because I think it does take courage. Uh, because you had to have mind over matter and say, all right, we don't know how much money, we don't know how to do it, we have no idea what we're doing, but we are going to do this. And the impact of collective idealism over a long period of time builds a sort of stamina and an energy and an optimism and a belief system which can last a very long time, and I think it does. I want to uh, underline what Sue says, which is that if you then remove a sort of systemic ability to deliver through just practical things, a sporting system for young people and a cultural system for young people, because exactly the same has happened in terms of arts and schools. You are really squandering the thing that I think the Olympic movement did. So I just want to say that. We had an extraordinary opportunity and we took it. And what what was needed was that that same idealism about investing in children's and young people's futures remained inside the school system, and it hasn't. So that's, you know, I I still very much believe that that great movements that are non-political and non-religious and call on the the, the spirit within us, um, actually, you can make that transformational, and we all know that because we've sort of been there. And then you try, I think, in smaller moments to do exactly the same, really. You're trying to say, okay, it may only be a weekend, 
or it may only be a three-day thing. But these are the values. These are the reasons for doing it. It's kind of an intensity around belief. And, you know, somebody talked earlier, I think it was Martin, about the fact that you have to put in place, before you do an event, you have to put in place a kind of structure for why people will get involved, how they'll get involved, and, and why it will matter to them. So they don't just arrive and go, oh my God, actually, it was fantastic, wasn't it? And then it's over. I mean, something has to be in there in advance. Not everybody can have that, but enough people. Um, so I, I think that you know, these things are a bit like holiday romances. Before the holiday is over, if you think you're really in love, buy six tickets to Portugal and go back. <laughs> you know, don't, mo don't, don't squander that passion. You, you, and, and, you know, and, and also, on this side, like, if you think you might be having a holiday romance, well, you know, pack the right stuff. Um, <laughs> so I don't think the short-term events uh, have less impact if, if the belief in why you're doing them is what you're trying to communicate. And you'll notice six tickets means one for everybody on the, on the <laughs> panel, which is fantastic. Um, but Jude, how, how would you relate the things you've just said then to the Women of the World festivals? Uh, okay, so, I mean, for those of you who don't know, the Women of the World, I don't know if this is, you can just click through whoever's, yeah. The Women of the World festivals are in 23 countries across five continents now. And this was a festival that I started in 2010 because I really believed and believe that the potential of girls and women is enormous, and the potential of boys and men is enormous, actually much more enormous in an equal world. I think this is not about you know, just girls and women, it's about gender equality. Um, but I also know that so much um, more is achieved if you're gathering people together from different elements of life and different stories can be told, and also if you have a sense of optimism rather than complaints. I mean, there's a lot to complain about with injustice, but you don't necessarily move forward. How you move forward is making people feel, ah, here's a, here's a world that looks different, let's get there. And so the festivals are about maximizing that idea of momentum. Um, and what 2012 um, taught me was again, you know, you just had to keep on telling people, could you want a better world? There is a better world. Should we just get there somehow? And ha then how should we do it? So obviously, gender equality is something that since 2010, we all talk about a great deal more than then. Uh, because since, since 2010, Malala was shot, the Boko Haram girls were captured, the Delhi rape happened. From trauma, a lot of change has happened. But you don't want everything to be triggered by trauma. You want things to be triggered by happiness. And... Um, and that's when you suddenly realize that you are connected to all of these people's lives, girls and women's, and boys and men, and you can see how they are making change, how change is made in history, and you suddenly think, and, and I can do this as well. So it, it is, you know, it's a kind of competitive sport with yourself. How do you remain an optimist? And then what do you put, how do you put that into action? So lots and lots of small events that are consistently talking to each other in the same language can build up the same kind of momentum, I think, as a great big event. I don't think we've got anyone here from WOW in Rio or oh, in... Oh, no, sorry, this is the, I should do it. So this is just the structure of how they're made up of. But, but you know, the, the, this is not really just an advert for WOW, but it's, it's meant to be... It's the same sort of thing as the Olympics, since that's the under-10s feminist corner, by the way. Um, you know, that of course you want Malala because you want the, the superstar sports heroes or the superstar, you know, female heroes, but you also have to say that everybody's story counts. And, you know, there's Dr. Cornwall, who's our president, 
But, you know, it's got to be... I mean, that's in Pakistan with the army, teaching the army to think about feminism. Um, <laughs> I don't dream on. Uh, but um, 9,000 people in Pakistan. But we... We were, we were encouraged by um, Spirit to say, look, you know, it's fantastic to be doing it in Somaliland, which is where that is, but what about Bradford? What about Exeter? What about Norwich? What about, what about you know, the UK? And we really, really wanted to do that. And so that's been possible. And of course, what is so amazing, that's wow in the Aboriginal Territory in Northwest Frontier in, in uh, Catherine, is that the connections between Bradford, not, and not just obviously Karachi, but Bradford and Baltimore make people in Bradford and the girls and women in Bradford think, I am a global citizen, which they are. So it's, it's not just about making things small and local. And that's what the Olympics did as well. It made people feel they were part of this much bigger story. Jude, I think we've got some people here from Bradford. Is that right? Do we have Ayat and Natasha here? They're over there. <laughs> Where? Yes. Can we get the microphone to you, please? Explain to us what your role was and what the, the festival in Bradford added up to. Um, so, we haven't done the festival yet. It's in November and we're called Wowsers. And so we're sort of like um, a group of young girls um, and we're, we're just sort of giving ideas on what, what kind of changes we want to see in Bradford. And we're sort of organising the festival. Um, and it's going to be the second year now. And last year I attended it. It was really, really good. Like, when you think of Bradford, you don't really think of good things, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> but um, this festival was so amazing, and it just, so many people attended, and it was just really, really beautiful, honestly. Ayat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'm supposed to answer. I'm supposed to answer the question about what wow means to me. Yeah. Well, uh, as a wowser, I think that. Wow was actually really important, not just for women, but for everyone. And I don't think, just me as a volunteer, it shouldn't be just me volunteering. I think it should be everybody just like participating in this because it's not just, it shouldn't be a volunteer thing to fight for women or to fight for equality. It should be an actual thing that should be happening. I think everyone should be there fighting for equality, wanting the same for everyone and wanting women like not just women, but like disabled people, people from different backgrounds to be equal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what WOW brought to me. I think it, it brought me more like happiness and I think it gave me like a home to feel, I don't know, like normal and like equal to everybody and not just some outcaster having to always look in, trying to find a place to fit in. WOW, you just, you just do by just being yourself. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, and it strikes me that uh, for, for London 2012, the volunteers were called Games Makers. I'm not sure if you're called anything other than volunteers, but wouldn't you wish you could be called Wowzers? <laughs> um, Jude, can I ask you to go back uh, quite a lot further just for a moment? Because deep ingrained in the DNA of the South Bank Centre is 1951 mm. and, and the Festival of Britain. Does that give us some hope that a single event from 60-odd years ago can still live and breathe and... Influences? Yes. So for those of you who aren't aware of it, the South Bank Centre and that whole South Bank area was created in 1951 for this thing called the Festival of Britain. It was a post-war moment when, you know, if you think about what happened in Britain at that moment, I mean, however bleak Brexit looks, imagine what it was like when you'd come through the Second World War and you had technology and barbarity producing 
the deaths of millions and millions and millions of people, not just you know, the, the um, Holocaust, but Nagasaki, Hiroshima, everything was happening in Russia. It was extraordinary. And so it was very hard, I think, for humans to think, actually, you know, we're quite good, aren't we? I think it was really difficult. And they had to rebuild. Each country had to rebuild in some way or another. So um, Herbert Morrison and other people had this idea of creating this tonic for the nation, a festival for the nation. They were originally going to do a sort of 100-year anniversary of the Great Exhibition, which was a kind of exhibition of, the, of colonialism. But of course, that was totally off the cards and totally inappropriate. So they made this amazing space on the south side of the river, the poor side, the side that had the prison, the side that at the time had what they used to call the lunatic asylum. It was the kind of flotsam and jetsam area. And they deliberately said, on the south side, we will create this extraordinary festival. And they used the phrase from the war artists, the propaganda of the imagination. And they said, with the propaganda of the imagination, we can change the world. And the festival, 50% of the artists who made the festival were refugees. And it was really a life-changing moment for Britain. Two-thirds of the population came to it. It was free. It only lasted six months because actually uh, uh, there was a change of government. This is always the problem. And the new government just took it all down. But the legacy of it, just to use that word for a minute, is that people still remember it. You know, they're their grandparents, their parents, whatever, and people knew it was a signifier of hope and unity, not in a sentimental way, but in a very, very complex, interesting way. It wasn't just art as in, you know, ballet, music, whatever. It was design, it was horticulture, it was exhibitions about the Arctic, it was sport. It was really about falling in love with humans because of humans' amazing ability to have endeavor of all kinds. And... Uh, so that's, the, that's what I think the South Bank Centre, that's why it matters. But I think with all of these things, you know, the way that Hull will hold on to the memory of this is if Hull remembers how everybody loved the idea you know, and built the idea from the strongest possible values. When anybody ever does throw something together for cynical purposes, it never lasts. This is always about belief. I, I like the word endeavours there, uh, and it, it brings together sport and art. Mm. Uh, the Olympic movement is based on the marriage of sport and art. In a way, so is spirit. But I think you've seen that marriage is sometimes not an easy one. Well, I mean, I totally believe in it. As a windsurfer, I just have to say that. Um, I really believe in sport and art being sort of, you know, because I believe in humans owning their bodies. And it's, it's something that when we haven't sort of fully come to terms with our bodies, actually, um, for all kinds of reasons. But anyway, but, but, and I also think that people need to own their hearts and their sort of imaginations. And we're, we tend to be sort of sent off down different routes, you know, to saying somebody's sporty or somebody's arty. And we've often been in situations where people have had, been, been forced to compete for funding and argue one against the other, etc. But the whole human, the whole human has flair of different kinds, but can also enjoy everybody's talents. So I, I really believe that the, uh, you know, the, the, this Olympic movement should embrace what is unique about itself, which is this combination of sport and art and education. I don't forget that was a, an element of it as well. Um, but it wasn't easy because people used to think, you know, what's it got to do with culture and get off my money? Um, and, and I didn't have a blazer either. And that was really a problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spirit of 2012 Learning Podcast. 
for more resources and information about how to embed what we know in your own projects, please visit our learning portal by googling Spirit of 2012 Learning Portal.